Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Good morning, Red Church. My name is Britt, if I am yet to meet you. And as has already been shared, we are well into our Lent season. So we are in our fourth Sunday of Lent. Um, So if you've been journeying with us, yeah, you would have been doing a reading, maybe some fasting, praying, whatever that looks like for you. We're we're right in the thick of it, which is actually quite exciting. And I thought it'd be good to kind of pause and take stock and think about what's actually happening in Lent for us as a church, but also for us individually to recognize that when we do this journey, it's this 40 days before we celebrate Easter and all that happens in that time, they're actually journeying with Jesus. But what has Jesus been saying to us? What is he pointing out? How is he leading us in this time? And so I want to explore that. What's he challenging in you in? What has he brought to your attention as we've sat in his word, in prayer with others? What's Jesus saying? And sometimes it's actually quite hard to to recognize that or to hear that. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, Britt, I'm not sure what that is. And that's totally fine with it's not always that clear but one of the best ways to discern where god might be leading or what he's saying is to look in his word and to read the word and recognize the key things that he wants to communicate to us as his people irrelevant of what time it is or what year we're in there is so much power in looking at scripture and understanding who god is in that and so what we're going to do this morning is actually just sit in the scriptures. So I'm going to get you to literally get your Bible out. We'll get your app out on your phone. We're going to sit in John 4 for this entire sermon. It is one of my favorite stories. It's the woman at the well with Jesus. You may be familiar with it. It's a beautiful passage. It's in the New Testament, which is in the second half of our Bibles, if you're new to the Bible. And I just want to explore this conversation Jesus has. There's so much in it. And to begin to ask those questions of what is God or what Jesus teaching us about who he is and about what it means to be a human in the sign, what it means to be in relationship with him. He talks a lot about living water in this passage, which is a fascinating concept. And some we kind of understand, some of it we don't. So I want to explore that. He talks about that of, of himself, but he also offers that. And what does he mean by that when he offers us living water? The Bible is such a powerful book. It's not something that's separate from us. It's actually a part of our story. It teaches us about who we are as humans. We are deeply connected to this book. And God speaks to us about his bigger story in it. And it's really helpful to remember these themes because actually it's the thing we live by subconsciously, consciously, this desire to see good come and for things to to happen as well as understanding that we fail sometimes. You see this throughout the narrative, which can kind of bring comfort. And finally, the other key thing it teaches us is that we need a savior, we need help. But what I wanna look at, what I wanna highlight is it also communicates the most important relationship we have in our lives. The most important relationship that we have in our lives, the relationship that is the source of life that we are dependent on. So let's keep that in mind as we approach the text, coming at the Bible in a different way, perhaps this morning, having it open before you, 
and we're going to look at verses 1 to 34, but I'm going to kind of break it down. So we're going to look at different parts and then just kind of chat through that. So let's start with verses 1 to 6. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So a few key things to take note of. Jesus has been baptizing with John, as we've just heard, in Galilee. Now, the distance that he is now traveling is actually quite long. So the land between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south, it's about 64 kilometers. It's a long walk. So it takes a few days. Jesus is probably like halfway through. So it's been about a day and a half he's been walking. And let's remember where we are. We're in Israel. It's dry. It's hot. It's dusty. He sent his disciples off to the town that's close by. He's probably pretty tired and, as we know, parched. And so he ends up at this well. There's probably a covering over the well, and he sits in the shade, rests his feet, because he's tired. The way that they have chosen to travel is geographically the quickest way to get from Galilee to Judea, but it's probably one of the riskiest ways, because as the text tells us, there's something going on in Samaria that's not safe or not okay for Jews. Historical tension has taken place between the Samaritans and the Jews. If you look back at two kings in the Old Testament, in chapter 17, you'll understand this a little bit more. But essentially, if you're a Jew and you wanted to insult another Jew in this time, you would call them a Samaritan. There's something that's in tension between these two people groups. And as it said, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so this woman who comes to the well at the same time, middle of the day, we're told, 12 noon, it's hot. Why is she here? The women usually come in the morning together when it's cool. And it makes sense. You're about to pull water from the well. This is going to be hot, tiring work. You don't want to be here in the middle of the day. And yet here she is. So there's Jesus, who is now considered a holy man. He's being identified by the people as that. And then this woman who comes to the well, this meeting. Traditionally, a holy man would not speak to a woman outside of his home. He would only speak to his wife and inside the home, not even out in the marketplace would he speak to his wife. And so this woman has arrived at the well, sees the man there, and assumes that she will be completely ignored. Jesus, however, does not ignore her. In fact, he wants to engage in a conversation with her. So not only is this Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman, this is a man speaking to a woman, which is completely not how the society operated in that time. So he's asked her for a drink. Let's go on, verse 10 to 15. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Surface level, they're having a conversation about water. They're sitting by a well. It's topical. It makes sense. However, there are a few other things in there that are a little confusing. It feels like they're kind of having this conversation and somewhat missing each other. I don't know if you've ever had that. You tell a joke with a friend and it didn't quite land and you're feeling a bit awkward and you kind of just keep navigating. I feel like that's what's happening here. She's like, yeah, I'm really thirsty. And he's like, yes, I will give you living water. And she's like, yeah, cool, let's do it. But he doesn't get out his jar to get the water. What is going on in this conversation? There's other things happening. In verse 10, it's like Jesus is actually trying to tell her who he is. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, he's revealing himself to her. And she's trying to grapple with it, but who are you? Who are you? Who is this man before me? Could he be greater than Jacob? I understand the importance of Jacob, and I don't, I don't understand what you're saying, this living water. Jesus speaks of the water, of thirst. Of course, he is thirsty. He's asked for a drink, but so is she. And he's trying to point out maybe in a different way or there's a greater thirst that she has, and he wants to speak to her about that. But what he offers brings transformation. It's living water, becoming in them a spring of living water in verse 14. And although this conversation feels like it's kind of missing on the top level, there's something within her who's like, yes, actually, I don't fully understand what you're saying, but I desire that. I come here day after day to get water, and I would love for that to change. I want my life to be different. It's almost as if she wants this inconvenience. If this part of her life could change, if she could be accepted in town so that she could travel with the women again, life would be a bit easier. But Jesus is thinking deeper than that. He doesn't want to just make life a little easier. He wants to bring freedom and healing to her. And he's trying to awaken her to that in this conversation. Again, she sticks with the practical. You have nothing to draw with. How are you going to get this water? And we ask that question. Jesus is using language that is reminiscent of the Old Testament. When we read the Bible, there's an assumption that we will understand what happens in the Old Testament. We will remember it. It's a part of our story. And so when Jesus is speaking and he says living water, in the Old Testament, God is referred to as living water. If you go back to the very beginning in Genesis 2, the land is incredibly dry as God is creating the world. And in that place, in that dry place, a spring wells up and waters the ground for all the animals and all the life and all of humanity to draw life from. And this, this beautiful stream and river grows out and feeds the world. And Jesus is speaking of this. I am the living water. I am like God. I am like Genesis, that stream of water where humanity can come and find life and flourish and take it out into the world. 
This is what he's saying. This is a theme throughout the Bible. This well that they sit at is Jacob's. Why are they bothering to tell us that? Why is that significant? It's because Jacob represents humanity, just as this woman does. In Genesis 25, if you move along in the story, we meet Jacob. Things have not really gone so well with his family. He's lied, he's schemed, and so he's split from them, just as Adam and Eve were split from God in the garden, out in the wilderness. We see this repeated theme, Jacob has to leave his family and he is in the wilderness. And where does he end up? By a well. And who does he meet? A woman, Rachel. And from there, the promise of God, that gift, that covenant, that he will bring humanity back to him, just as he said he would, comes from this line, Jacob and Rachel, the nation of Israel is birthed from them. This place, this well of water, it's significant. It represents that, that once again, humanity will be sent forth with living water. So as Jesus is speaking, as he's saying these words, these images are designed to come to our minds. As we think about it, yes, God is living water. In the garden, we hunger and thirst to live by this water. And sometimes you read in this Old Testament, sometimes humanity does that. They are dependent on it, they recognize it, and they offer it to others as a source of life. But a lot of the time, they don't. That is the story that we read. And in the Old Testament, when you get to the prophets at the end of that time, again, they're crying out for God to bring this living water. And he says, I will. If you look at Ezekiel 37, it's a famous passage of the dry bones in the valley. God pulls out water, his spirit, and brings those bones back to life, putting life back into them. And again, a new humanity is formed and will be sent out. It's the same theme over and over again. And this is what Jesus is referring to. This is what he's trying to point out. Where are the people who can spread God's life to others, who want to live in this water and flourish? And so as we hold that, let's come back to this conversation. What is Jesus actually saying then? There have been years where the Israelites have been seeking this, have been asking the question, how will God restore Israel again? How will he come? And Jesus is revealing this to a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. He's not standing in Jerusalem at this point to tell everyone, he's saying to this woman, hey, People have waited thousands of years for this, but I'm going to tell you right here, I am that living water, just as it was in Genesis, just as it has been throughout generations. I am the source. I come with that. The promise of the prophets, what does he say? The gift of God, that covenant relationship that he offered. And so we come and we see a man and a woman at a well, a representation of life. They are by water. But the difference is that Jesus is offering that. He is the living water, as he said. There is so much power in recognizing the grace he is showing this woman, the unmerited grace to offer such revelation. And it's actually a really key moment for us to recognize the way that Jesus speaks to us. He speaks to this woman he tells her of who he is because he loves her. And 
Jesus does this with us. What she understands of herself is repeated whenever she walks in the marketplace. It's why she's at the well at 12 noon. People reject her, they don't see her, they don't want to talk to her, they disregard her as a human. But the thing is, Jesus will treat you the way he sees you, not the way you see yourself. Jesus will treat you the way he sees you, not the way you see yourself. What does he see when he looks at this woman? Someone who is thirsty, someone who is lonely, someone who is desperate for change, and someone he loves. What does he see when he looks at you? Someone he loves, someone he desires to see walk in freedom in life and to know that all's passing love and peace that he brings. That's what he sees and that's what he's offering this woman and this is what he offers us when he says to us, I am the living water. Let's jump back into the text. So, from verse 15, she says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, weird conversation. She's saying, can I please have some water? And he asked her about her husbands. I wonder if this point, if the woman at the well is like, well, he's been walking for a while. Maybe he's a bit dehydrated. Didn't quite hear what I said. <laughs> it's a weird conversation. She's thirsty and he's like, let's talk about what's going on. But actually, he is answering her. And the way that he's speaking to her, it's not to cause shame. It's not to create guilt. That is not Jesus' heart. He brings this up because he wants to speak to her pain and say that, I don't want you to live in pain anymore. And the source of your pain is this cycle you have been in, this seeking men after men and it not working out, the shame that comes with that. I want to speak to that because that's why I've come, not to just give you a thirst for now, not to just make it easier for you to come to the well, but so that you no longer live under that anymore and you know the truth and life that I've designed for you to live. He wants to talk to the drought in her soul and offer living water. Again, remember we are deeply connected to this text. This is the way that Jesus speaks to us and what he offers us. It's a repeated pattern that Jesus has throughout the New Testament as he interacts with people. He draws out and he speaks about what's actually going on. Again, not because he wants to bring up shame or guilt, no, but because he has compassion and love for us and wants us to live in freedom. This is what the Old Testament law was designed to do. 
Jesus is the walking form of that. He says, I fulfill the law and the prophets. He comes to say, this is not life. I have life. Live this way. Follow me. Trust in God. During Lent, this is kind of what happens to us. It's like we're sitting with Jesus. And as we sit with him a little bit longer and longer over time, time and again, morning after morning, finally he might actually say to us, hey, I really want to talk to you about your loneliness or your fear or your desire to be seen, to be enough. Can we talk about that today? What has Holy Spirit brought to mind as you have sat with Jesus, as you've sat with Scripture, as you've sat in that place? Remembering it's for greater love and freedom to walk as the people of God. I don't know about you, but I can understand this woman's response. As that happens, there's something deep within her. You can imagine, oh my gosh, I'm totally seen and known by this man. She calls him a prophet. You've just told me what my life has been like. You know me, but also how exposing. I was just at a well trying to get some water. Next minute, you've explained everything that's going on. My deepest fear has been exposed. And so she kind of embraces it and also dismisses it at the same time. Such a human response, we do this. Whenever something is brought up, brought up in us, or maybe we hear the whisper of God, or maybe we think maybe it could be true, we're quick to rationalize. Oh, actually, that's not what's going on. We wanna understand it with our mind and create a defense because we feel unsafe and understandably because this is a vulnerable place. Think of the woman sitting with this man she's just met. Again, he's already broken down so many social barriers and now he wants to talk about the very thing that she struggles with. Her heart is exposed and our tendency is to do the same. When something like this comes up, it's really difficult to sit there and wait and trust in Jesus. But his invitation is just that. So she goes to rationalizing it and then begins a discussion about where worship should be. Wants to separate it from her, being like, all right, let's move the discussion away from me and just let's talk about the general issue here of of worship and how can I actually see God and how can I actually bring change if I'm not allowed to worship on the mountain that you claim is where where God is. And so Jesus actually answers her in that. Verse 21 to 26. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You step back from this conversation and think about what Jesus is doing. He's showing her great love, mercy, and compassion. But on the other side, he is also not compromising on the truth. This is who God is. 
This is how we worship him, and salvation is from the Jews. He holds that in balance. If you were here last week, Mark spoke about that. That's Jesus governing. That's bringing the kingdom as he holds love, mercy, and compassion with justice. That's what's happening in this conversation, in this dialogue. It's that wrestle Mark spoke about. This conversation is a wrestle, and sometimes it kind of feels like that in us. When Jesus brings something up, sometimes we want to wrestle with him about it and argue with him. You know what? That's okay. But he does this because he wants to bring the kingdom order. So he will bring love and mercy and truth because that is what brings kingdom and freedom. This is, again, repeated throughout the biblical narrative, this offer of relationship, this reminder of humanity's failure. This woman knows that she has not lived the way that she's been called to. She knows that she needs a saviour. That's why she talks about the Messiah. She's desperate for that. She's saying, yes, I know, when he comes, it'll all be okay. I think it's really valuable for us again to recognize that we represent the woman in this story, that we are thirsty, that we wrestle sometimes in this. It's really powerful to be able to acknowledge our thirst, the reality of that, that we need a savior. It's a repeated thing over and over again in this text. Because why would Jesus be sent as a gift of living water? if we were not thirsty. This is what he invites the woman at the well to, and this is what he is inviting you and I to. We are thirsty. Why would he be sent as a gift of living water if we were not thirsty? And his answer to her and to us is, I am he. I am this living water. I will satiate that thirst you have, whatever it may look like, loneliness, grief, pain, weariness, to be seen and loved, to be enough. I am the answer to that, he says. Let's finish this conversation and this narrative. So verse 27 to 34. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I just want to clarify a few things here. I want to talk about the difference between drought and desire. This woman at the well, she was living in drought. She had never encountered the living water of Jesus. But also... When Jesus talks about never thirsting again or always seeking thirst, it's this kind of paradox that we have. That's the desire, the thirst that we have as followers of Jesus. If we have met Jesus, he associated that drought, but we still thirst. And I love the way that Jesus models this in this very text. 
If you think about it, he actually never got that drink of water. We've come to the end of the dialogue. She's run off into town. He's still thirsty. Or is he? Actually, what we hear is, no, my food, my drink, my... I have actually been satisfied. By what? By doing the will of my Father. Jesus represents the new humanity to us, the new Adam. He thirsts. We thirst. And actually, what satiates that thirst? Doing the will of the Father, being in relationship with Father, God. It's the same for us. And Jesus answers that for us as followers of him. Later on in the same gospel, in John 14 and 15, he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, the gift of God, living water, those words that are used are the same words used for the Holy Spirit in Acts when he comes. Pentecost, which we will celebrate after Easter. This Holy Spirit that is given to us as followers of Jesus is to represent Jesus' presence. He spoke about it in John 14 to 15 to his disciples saying, when he returns to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come. You will not be alone. I will still be with you, creating that intimacy with Father and with Jesus. And it's that relationship that lasts, that is eternal, that satiates that deep thirst we have. That relationship answers that. Because it is the human thirst for relationship with God that the Holy Spirit satiates or satisfies. Even in the here and now. He's talking about living water. Friends, we serve a living God. He is alive and wants to speak to you. As you seek him, as you have that thirst, he wants to come to you and offer that living water over and over again. What does he say? A spring of living water that continues to flow, just as it did in Genesis, but within you, and that you offer it to others. This is what Jesus is talking about to the woman and what he offers us today, 2022, Sunday, March. And so as I come to an end, (laughs) I felt like when I was praying for this, for this message, there would be three different people who maybe this would land with. Perhaps you're here today and you've actually been asking like the woman at the well, who is this Jesus? Who is it that's before me? Who is this man that I am hearing about and I don't fully understand? And maybe you feel that drought. I want to remind you that Jesus sees you. He knows that. And there's an opportunity to trust that you'll understand who he is in time, but trust that he has, he has the answer to that drought within you. And he wants to show you and offer that to you. He will treat you the way he sees you, not the way you see yourself. You do not have to be good enough. There is grace and love and mercy, and he offers that. The second is maybe during Lent, during this time of fasting, you're beginning to recognize something God is pointing out to you. If you don't know that, I encourage you in this week to reflect, what are some of the repeated things you've heard, a scripture that's come up, a memory? What are the things that God is pointing out to you? What is Holy Spirit hinting? What has come to the surface? That's your thirst. Identify it, sit with it, and speak to him about what he wants to do. And finally, Maybe this resonates with you. Maybe you actually know exactly what your thirst is. And you're in that point like the woman at the well feeling actually quite exposed and vulnerable. 
And the temptation in all of us is to fill it with something else. But I want to encourage you to take the time to remember the way that Jesus has turned up before. Again, this story is so important for us to remember because it speaks of God's faithfulness. And that's what will help us stay remain vulnerable and open to Jesus and give us confidence that he'll turn up again with that living water. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word, for the power of being in relationship with you and understanding what it means to know you as living water and that you offer that to us time and again. And Holy Spirit, I just ask in this moment that you would prompt and bring revelation of this in a greater way, in a deeper way. I pray for trust and courage to step in and and receive that that we would be that well, that stream, that spring of water that overflows with the kingdom life, that we would offer it to others and that your kingdom would go out from our lives, from this place as we unite as a church, into our weeks, into our days, and the people we encounter, because we have people in our world who are thirsty. May we be bearers of this water and learn what it means to receive it from you, to trust you so that we may give it to others. We declare these things in your name, Lord Jesus, in who we trust and believe. Amen.